This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, don't, do you ever get tired of just reading websites? Don't you wish, Craig, that you could make your own website sometimes? You're right, Andrew. Sometimes reading them is boring and I want to make stuff, but I don't know how. <laughs> well, if that's a problem that you at home have, guess what? Squarespace is here to help you. Once again, Squarespace is sponsoring our show this week. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They give you easy-to-use templates and drag-and-drop tools that make designing a website easy. Uh, some of the features of Squarespace that we'd like to highlight this week include the ability to set up email campaigns. You can mm. use those to grow and engage your audience uh, with email content that matches what you put up on your site. You can collect donations to support your show or support a cause. And they give you analytics that gives you powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content. I will say I use that analytics tool for us to like – it's hard sometimes with a podcast to know how people are finding you. And that is one way that I actually have concrete information on like <laughs> where people have heard about us or something like that. So that is well, a tool I'd, I I'd find Squarespace's analytics tool to be a bit more approachable too than than yeah. like a, than uh, like a Google Analytics yes. or something that's that sort of inundates you with with too much data. <laughs> Correct, I would so, agree. Yes. Uh, if you would like to create a website and use these tools and so many more, uh, go to squarespace.com/overdue and use the promo code overdue to save ten percent off your first purchase. That's squarespace.com slash overdue. Use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we are not alone. <laughs> oh, the ancients of past town wisdoms <laughs> about the oneness of mankind. Who else is here with us? We are on the spirits. We are yeah. spirits from the past. No, guys, what happened is just like after 9 11. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> thoughts were just aligned in one way, and you manifested me and Catherine. That's yes, fair. That's cool. this yes. is my Margaret favorite Hyde. improv rule: is no guys. No, that's my favorite. <laughs> no guys. It's a little more sophisticated than yes and, but you know, not everyone can master it. <laughs> Wait, no, say your names up. again. Yeah. Who are you? Hi, I'm Margaret. I'm Catherine. And they're the my erstwhile hosts of Appointment Television. You're Craig, once take, a future take, co-host. Take notes on how to use erstwhile correctly because this is <laughs> this is one of them trouble words. It is for me. It's a tough one. <laughs> I like to use it. Mm-hmm. Every everything's an erst it, like everything's a nail when you have a hammer. Every word is erstwhile when you know the word erstwhile. Mm, Boy, do sure. I I feel that. Yeah. Every while is erst when you know the word erstwhile. Yes, we are here. To talk about a book that has That's generous to call it a book. <laughs> Listen, it had it had a beginning and an end, and, a, mm, and it has so many chapters. Yeah, so many chapters. There are words in it, and it was written by a person named Dan Brown. Dan yes. Brown, back in the Dan Browniverse, where <laughs> hungover college students are spontaneously bursting into applause from. <laughs> Awesome lectures <laughs> also, that their middle-aged professors are giving about symbols. Also, where the majority of American freshmen have like all been to Europe, yes. but not 
Washington DC. Yeah. I loved uh, that. We're going <laughs> to Apparently talk- they still go on the grand tour in I don't know 2006 yeah. in a Dan mm-hmm. Brown novel. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about The Lost Symbol by Dan Brown. Um, is my understanding that this is based on a television show? Mm-hmm. That is correct. Yeah, this is a novelization of a television show yeah. that aired on Peacock, which is yeah. the service that you uh, subscribe to the free trial of when it's time for you to rewatch The Office again. Yes, sure. it is important yeah. to know that although the television show aired in the year of our Lord Anno Domini 2021, mm-hmm. um, the book was written in 2009. It nevertheless is... Nine. Still a novelization, we will be considering the television show, the primary text. (laughs) I'm sorry, this book was written in symbology. That's correct. (laughs) Yeah. A a symbolon or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, this book was written in 2009. Yeah. And like a solid 60% of the characters are still using Blackberries, which talk about a lost symbol. I mean, in 2009, (laughs) that wasn't completely I mean, especially if you're talking about like government employees mm-hmm. sure I think, sure like, you know obama still uses blackberry remember that now, guy so we've talked Wild. about dan we've talked about dan brown on Too the show before. <laughs> um we covered him all the way back on episode four for the da vinci code and we talked about him two years ago uh for episode 419 with inferno it's accelerating mm-hmm. yeah and you talk can, about angels you know, and demons like <laughs> six months from now <laughs> there's probably a code in those episode numbers you can find it right mm-hmm. that's right as yeah. above so below mm-hmm. right which Full means circle. you might have to flip the numbers for them yes. to make sense mm-hmm. that's or true. you might have to yeah. know about the original etymology yeah. of what the numbers meant when yeah, they or were put them named. in a square, a magic square. Yep, mm-hmm. a magic, yeah, magic square. square. Mm-hmm. It's important wow. that you know if it's runic writing or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so like, did you know our numbers going, are Craig. Arabic numbers? No, that's keep fine. Going, keep I, going, Craig. I, I or got just the like focus boil it. Of a, the, of a download the episode <laughs> to your phone and then boil it and see what happens. And maybe it... Put the whole uh, phone in the water. Yeah. And yeah. Then, yeah. As we all know, Dan Brown was born in 1964, and he's known for thrillers, particularly the Langdon books. There are five of them. He really loves puzzles. All the books are treasure hunts that take place in about 24 hours. His publisher has won or otherwise dismissed numerous plagiarism counts against him. My hot take there is that when you make something called the Da Vinci Code that blends fact and fiction, uh, you've probably blended in a lot of other sources. And also, it was super popular, and so you got a lot of money, and people want some. That's your life, Dan Brown. Yeah, and um, Olivia Rodrigo. Well, it's it's brutal out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. He also wrote a children's <laughs> book in 2020 called The Wild Symphony. He wrote music mm. for it. Did you know that Dan Brown writes music? It's probably got puzzles um, in it. Mm, I think it'd be fair to say Dan Brown has published music. He composed like, let's music. Not be, let's not be hasty. <laughs> Uh, as Margaret and Catherine said, this book was, it was not written in 2009, it was published in 2009 um, in a very aggro Entertainment Weekly interview I found. <laughs> they, they cited, um, quote, your, they said, your publisher suffered severe layoffs last year and the press speculated your overdue manuscript was partly the reason. Did you feel guilty? <laughs> and he said, one book can't support an entire country. I mean, an entire company. <laughs> 
I mean, does he not know about the economics of the publishing industry? Because yeah. that is, Can in I fact, just, exactly what they do. Works, yeah, I just yeah. want to pause. Yeah. We're gonna do. We'll do like a plot summary. Obviously, yeah, we but will. This, mm-hmm. this has absolutely nothing to do with the plot, so I'm just gonna insert <laughs> it here because it is where it is most relevant. There mm-hmm. is one chapter of this. That is completely unnecessary. It's like right in the middle. One chapter? As they are solving. Other than that. As they are (laughs) solving the mystery, Mm -hmm. Langdon calls his. Paul, his editor. Oh, oh yes, yeah. and it's like <laughs> I need, number. I need a phone number. And his editor is like, these writers, they yeah. never just stay home and write. Mm-hmm. And like, it is the most obvious of like, like Dan Brown being like, ha ha ha, yeah. my editor is gonna read yeah. this. It's gonna think it's so funny, and then <laughs> it just goes back to the mystery. The editor never returns. Yep. <laughs> um. So this book was. Started in 2006 after Angels and Demons in 2000, Da Vinci Code 2003, and it takes three years to come to publication. Well, um, and and then they wanted to make a movie out of it in the Tom Hanks series, and I guess they were like, "Not good enough. Let's do Inferno instead." <laughs> <laughs> well, because this, I don't. Okay, so I've read Da Vinci Code, I've read Inferno. I don't remember a whole lot about <laughs> either of them because mm-hmm. they kind of just go through you well da vinci mm-hmm. code but, that one's about how jesus um right it's about jesus's like secret yeah. progeny right yeah. jesus, jesus gets, gets jesus down. gave birth to amelie and then angels Inf- and demons is about <laughs> um, inferno the- is about uh viruses i guess yes there's a virus that's going to make everybody or like a lot of people infertile for pop- mm-hmm. to control population growth mm-hmm. right um and then angels and demons was about the illuminati uh Trying to kill a pope or something yeah. like they're antimatter and a yeah, pope. That sounds right. The antipope. Yeah. And this book is basically like, what if the secret was real? What if the secret was but real? But also, a supervillain was willing to kill everyone to keep it fake, so that only he'd have it. <laughs> that's basically. But that's. I guess it. I wonder if that's why it didn't get a movie made out of it because it it name drops like specific wellness crackpots like who are out writing about the the power of human thoughts to change like real world events like it is it's not supposing that the stuff is fake it's saying it's definitely real here are some source texts that you can google that we lots of facts lots of scientifically proven and i was like "Mm, citation needed (laughs) yeah and like the only thing that and like the show i feel like leans a little more heavily on it just being like this is a thing some people think and then at the end it's kind of a fake out where it doesn't really exist or does it like it's a bunch of winky naughty stuff Mm -hmm. where in this book it's like yeah the secret is real and people's brains are just too small to comprehend it it's totally (laughs) real there's there's like a they explain it as everything is explained in this book at great length and so many times. <laughs> so <But> many. <laughs> the one that I was really struck by happens fairly early. And the mm-hmm. description is that people's thoughts. I actually screen capped this and I could read it. Okay, go for it. Yeah. In 2001, in the hours following the horrifying events of September 11th, the field of noetic science made a quantum leap forward. Four scientists discovered that as the frightened world came together and focused in shared grief on the single tragedy, the outputs of 37 different random event generators around the world suddenly became significantly less random. Somehow, 
the oneness of this shared experience, the coalescing of millions of minds, had affected the randomizing function of these machines, organizing their outputs and bringing order from chaos. Yes. Fast forwarding a tiny bit through this description, we have Catherine Solomon's practical application thereof, and I just felt like this was important. Even the crystalline structure of newly forming solid was rendered mutable by one's mind. Catherine had created beautifully symmetrical ice crystals by sending loving thoughts to a glass of water as it froze. I do that all the time. All the time. (laughs) I send so many loving thoughts and I get the most beautiful ice cubes out of it. It's It's incredible. They're gorgeous. Gorgeous ice cubes. Stunning. Yeah. I feel like, okay, now we need to rewind. Ice structures are are like famously asymmetrical and ugly when (laughs) people aren't like wishing them to be. Sending loving thoughts at them 100%, Mm -hmm. Andrew. So. Okay, so here's we we need yeah. to take a break in a second, but let me just give you one more round of background before we get into the book itself, because then I then there's plenty of other stuff. There's so much and yet so little, and and we will. I I am interested also in talking about it. Like, why did this become this show that Peacock, you know, decided to make a big thing about? I I went. I did not listen because I didn't want to spoil the book. So I don't mm. know what y'all have thought yet about the show. A lot. <laughs> Other than that, you've had thoughts. You've noetic thoughted my brain into doing this podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we have. Um, oh, there wow, is that's a very, true, <laughs> There's a very long Matt Lauer interview with oh, Dan gosh. Brown in 2009. Oh, wow. cursed. They went deep. <laughs> it is a cursed interview, yes. Um, they talked to him about, about all the Mason stuff. Uh, Matt Lauer's like, it's not real, is it? And Dan Brown's like, I think it is. And a Mason's like, no, it's totally not. And another Mason's like, yeah, it sort of is. They really go back and forth on it. They talk about all the 33s in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. They t- one guy is like, we do have secrets, but most of them are metaphors. Alchemy is just a metaphor for changing yourself. Think about it. Um, <laughs> Dan Brown says, I intended this book as a reverential look at their philosophy. He also says, I think my book contains a lot of meat, but it tastes like dessert somehow. No. (laughs) They also interview the head of the California (laughs) Institute of Noetic Science, who explains what random event generators are that are just like coin flipping computers. And Matt Lauer's like, I don't know. And Dan Brown's like, I do know this is real. I love that he says that it's meat that tastes like dessert. And everyone around him is like, now that's a writer. (laughs) It also makes me think like by the time we get to the eighth book in the in the Robert Langdon series, there he's just gonna be running around the Denver airport, like solving all the dick. I'm surprised it's taken that long to get there. And and we're gonna probably we're as you can tell, we're gonna come swinging for this book. Mm -hmm. And Dan Brown is not surprised because as he told entertainment weekly when they were like what do you think about people like not liking your books and he's like well i'm not william shakespeare or william faulkner i write books in a very specific and intentional way blending fact and fiction writing in a very modern efficient style that just serves the story some people understand what i'm doing and other people should just go read somebody else and then he goes on to say that uh, nobody would have hated the da vinci code if it sold ten thousand copies it stayed too successful for too long and everybody turned on him that i have so many <laughs> which is like an argument that if responses. it was a writer i respected i would want to talk about it because it like 
fame does weird things to your work. I get mm-hmm. it. No, I think mm-hmm. there is an extent to which he is true. Like, yes, he's no, there correct. is one thing I would really like to take issue with that in that description. And that is that he writes, he characterizes writing as quote unquote efficient. Yeah. Mm. No, no, yeah. his own no, description of his writing is terrible. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm bad. gonna, I'm gonna, I have a bone mm-hmm. or 12 to pick with that. Yeah. Sure. No, I do think he's right that, like, if this had not become the worldwide sensation that it was... Because no one would care about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it sold a billion copies, and that means we all had to know about it Mm -hmm. and discover how bad it is. Yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. Andrew, anything you want to say before we take our break? No, only that I guess I am... (laughs) Like, as we talk about how few redeeming qualities it has, I do feel sort of responsible yeah. for having covered three of this man's books on mm-hmm. our book podcast. Yeah. I think our mission today, as I choose if to we choose to accept it, it okay, sure. <laughs> is what might what about this book has grabbed anyone's attention? Or what about this style of story made this man successful? I have thoughts. And why does this book still fail to live up to that is like my particular question. I do here. feel like this one is the worst of the three that we've done. Yeah. Yeah. Which I explains some thoughts, comfort. Though. I have yeah. thoughts. And I think some of that comes down to it's it's mumbo jumbo source material. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it just it says things like it was a proven fact that human intuition was a more accurate detector of danger than all the electronic gift in gear in the world. Proven fact where and by whom? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just it's like, also a book that has the word actually in it 75 times. <laughs> and I screen capped so. a few things where it was like saying, like, tell me, tell me you're saying actually without saying actually. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of well buts and sorry buts. <laughs> so <laughs> but 75 is an undercount. Well, we'll take a break. Yeah, speaking of then... sorry buts, we will. <laughs> We're going to take a break and then our sorry butts will be back to talk about this book. (laughs) It's a new year, Andrew. You know what that means? I got to write another year year on my checks. It's also true. New year, new problems. No, wait, it's old problems. The same problems you've probably been dealing with already, but maybe you got some new goals. Yeah. And maybe those old problems are getting in the way. Uh, Whenever you go, there you are. (laughs) (laughs) One of the best ways to deal with some of the tough stuff is to talk it out, which is why I'm here to say that Overdue is also brought to you this week by our sponsor, BetterHelp, which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can send a message to them at any time, schedule weekly sessions over video Uh, or on your phone, and you can do all this without sitting in an uncomfortable waiting room. You can do this sitting in your own chair at home where you're comfortable. I love my chairs at home. Yes, you picked them. They're yours. Sit in them and call BetterHelp. Uh, (laughs) Anything you share is confidential on this convenient, professional, and affordable service. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash overdue. Uh, I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com slash Overdue. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash Overdue. So, 
as we dive into the plot of this book, mm-hmm. Andrew, before we start recording, you were like, Craig, this is your first time through the story. You're in the plot chair. Yeah. Andrew, this is your second time through the story. Yeah, it's been great. What chair are you in? I guess I'm in the let's let's talk briefly about the shows the changes that the TV show made. I think in a lot of ways it is a straightforward adaptation at least in terms of like like the the general vibe and a lot of the events. Like the the ending is a little different and but the beginning only differs in the like the ages of many of the characters and their relationships to one another. Um the TV show mostly made it so that everybody could have more sexual mm. chemistry with everybody else. Not that <laughs> not that most of them succeed in doing that, but most of them mm. have been made younger and sexier yes. in an effort to make us think that maybe they might have sex with each other. Because the yes. TV show, it's a prequel story, right? Like he's young Robert Langdon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, is it a... So this is a this is a conversation. There is some. There are a couple things that happen in the show that don't happen in the book that do kind of break my brain a little bit, and I think mm-hmm. we're going to have to pick them apart. But there is a scene in the show where a character references Tom Hanks as an actor, which means that Tom <laughs> Hanks's work exists, which means Tom <laughs> Hanks in those Dan Brown movies exists. Yeah. So I honestly don't know what the like canonical deal with this relative to the to the existing movies is i don't know if it's supposed to be a prequel thing i don't know if it's just like a reboot entirely it might be more of a reboot I, I, is my understanding that the events of the other stories have not happened in peacock dance peacock stan brown's Law no symbol? they definitely have not the okay. yeah, there's the no robert langdon is just the kind show. of a symbologist about town yeah <laughs> as one is yeah He's yeah. just he's just making his career. Whereas in this book, occasionally Robert Langdon says things like, "Remember that time in Paris in when Paris, I discovered that, that, that like stuff, yeah. Jesus well, had sex with people?" Yeah, doesn't he go to the Capitol and people are like, "Aren't yes. you Robert Langdon?" Yes. The people guy? are always yeah, like, "Aren't you Robert Langdon from those from the news or whatever?" Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you Harrison Ford and Harris Tweed? I've seen it before. Yes. This is can I? There is please, a very, Margaret. The Harris Tweed is a particular point for me uh-huh. because. Uh, so Chicklet, I've found like all labels that label something as like primarily by or for women becomes overused to such a point that it loses its actual sort of like um, useful genre categorization. And so what I've come up with is it's like if it's a book where like if a suitcase is mentioned, like, you know, it's Hermes, right? Like that's a specific type of book for women. Like all of the designer brands are mentioned. Yeah. And in this book. He, like, boards a private plane early, and they're, like, of this kind of private plane, and, like, these motors were running. Mm. And I was, like, oh, mm-hmm. this is the dude version yeah, of that. Yeah, this is for dude. This is right? For it's just this Tom the gearhead version. And then it's just, like, no. Just, like, every single descriptor that can be amended to anything is amended. Up to the point where, like, when Malak is, like, blowing up Catherine Solomon's like lab where she's proved that the power of prayer can cure cancer or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like, like you have to mention that he's using like Bunsen burner fluid and like other things. It's just like every descriptive would you word know? that can be included is included, which is where Dan Brown's characterization of his own writing as efficient. What? <laughs> 
when for people me, is the wrongest. When people describe Dickens as having been paid by the word uh, incorrectly, that's not I, how I he am, was paid. I, somebody just like brought a grindstone into the room and they're picking up an axe. Yeah, this style of writing is what they are imagining. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. It so Catherine and, Catherine and Margaret, you are experts on the television show. Sure. You inflicted experts. portions of this book on yourselves yes. to prepare yourself for this conversation, <laughs> but you do know where the story goes based oh, yeah. on yeah. the, oh, on the yeah. original source text. Although, as we've frankly, said. if you can read the chapter about, like, I don't know, Prisoner 73 at that <laughs> Turkish prison and not understand exactly who he is, okay, so, I Craig, don't think I'd, highly of your intelligence. I did want to know did did you pick up on the incredible secret twist of the identity of Malak in that prisoner 73 chapter um i oh. had an inkling uh-huh. because mm-hmm. there was no other possible explanation <laughs> yeah. for who this person could be. Yeah. So this okay. is a reminder to our listeners that we are going to spoil the crap out of this yes. book because we yeah. don't care. And the only thing that's interesting about the book is the plot. Mm-hmm. You don't want to read it. Trust us. So we're just yeah. going to tell you, you really about don't. it. So, yeah. Okay. So in the show, uh, Peter <laughs> Solomon, as played by Eddie, is there... Inexplicable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, is this the book and show Peter are the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Catherine Solomon in the show is Peter's daughter, Zach's sister. Mm-hmm. And Which, then uh, Zach, is, Zach is then Catherine's nephew in the book and mm-hmm. brother in the show. And so that's, that's the main, the other difference is that Sato, the CIA agent. Yeah. Uh, in who is a like an early antagonist who turns into kind of a weird ally, even though she has all kinds of weird extrajudicial powers that <laughs> she abuses regularly. Well, yeah. the in other, the book, she's yeah. described basically as a cartoon witch. Yeah, and in the show, she's just kind of a kind of a you know a, a flinty lady. Yeah, she's yeah. kind of steely. Well, well, the yeah the other big um, shift is that in the show. Peter's wife, Zach's mom, is the sort of other figure there. Yeah. And in the book, it's Peter's mother, this elderly woman. And this is is important because uh, you get a real sense of Dan Brown's priorities when he's like, and then because because you're just wondering the whole time, like, who who is Peter's wife? He had this son. Like, what happened to the wife? He he writes out the wife he's in like two paragraphs. The man who describes like, you know, walking through a dark tunnel yeah. for seven chapters yeah, in two paragraphs is like anyway, like then he She's left his around. then he left his wife. Uh, she sucks. Bye. And <laughs> <She's that's- not laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go back, Craig. Not, what's the plot? Yeah. Of, what's the plot of this book? Let's talk about the opening page. <laughs> I can't oh. wait. There is a page at the beginning of this book, and it says, "Fact: In 1991, a document was locked in the safe of the director of the CIA. The document is still there today. Its cryptic text includes references to an ancient portal and an unknown location underground. The document also contains the phrase, it's buried out there somewhere. All organizations (laughs) in this novel exist, including the Freemasons, the Invisible College, the Office of Security, the SMSC, and the Institute of Noetic Science. Sciences, all rituals, science, 
artwork and monuments in this novel are real. You will note that I pronounce the word science with quotation marks, but they are not in the book. They are, he says <laughs> science. He writes science straight faced in that passage. So yeah. right, just telling you right up front that this is a book about real stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Get he's it. done that in all of his books. Yeah. And it, makes the like the audacity and the frequency which which he with which he lies and gets stuff wrong like pretty <laughs> and this book is like, like even even when he writes like malak is talking about the fontanelle being like the sacred space and how it's the only spot on the skull that's open yeah. when you're like there you have two soft spots on your skull idiot it's, you don't, <laughs> you're not even right late at the very end of the book <sighs> when back Catherine, one the front one <laughs> at the very end of the book when Catherine solomon is telling langdon about about how like your body is a temple is like an idiom related to like the Bible or something. And she points to her head and goes, get it. That's why I call it a temple. I looked it up. It's two different Latin roots. Damn Brown. It's Shut up. So, and the the thing is, yeah. he does it constantly. Like at some point they're in Damn this Trump. deep, deep tunnel underneath the Capitol. And he's like, one time Lincoln's youngest son, Tad, got lost down here <laughs> for so long that he that almost sound died. Fully, fully yeah. made up. Oh, yeah, Tad Lincoln. <laughs> he really good. does exist. It sounds fake. He does exist, but like nowhere could I find <laughs> evidence that he was lost almost nay unto the point of perishing in the tunnels <laughs> under the U.S. Capitol. <laughs> Important, important question, Catherine. Could Mm -hmm. you find any details about the quote unquote killer bathtub responsible for the mnemonic murder of Vice President Henry Wilson? No, could not. Could not find any details about that. That's one of the um, pieces of bizarre arcana. And I I think I also uh, need to point out for later in the plot summary, there is no such thing. I'm just going to say this. As breathable liquid. Yeah, no, breathable <laughs> that was real. no. It was in the movie The Abyss. It's real. No, I saw it happen. No, Ed Harris drank it. Absolutely it not. Sad. Okay, we got to talk about this it's book. Just Crap. so, man, Robert Langdon. It's. I hate to keep throwing sand into the gears as we try to get started nope. talking about this stupid book, but what a what a horrible, what a smarmy, just fully un- irredeemable completely unfun to spend any time with character here's what i can like, say it, it, it is it is how he is constantly condescending to everybody around him mm-hmm. it is yeah. how he is just totally in enthrall- like robert langdon is the man he's the personification of the man toward the end of the book and i'm not Catherine and margaret i don't even know if you got to this part we did but- not There is, you know, several characters start working with Sato and trying to fight against Malak as they discover what leverage Malak has over like the Freemasons. And so Robert Langdon watches horrified this video that Malak had surreptitiously recorded about his own Masonic, uh, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, Initiation rituals. Yeah, yeah. And Mm -hmm. caught on camera is like, prominent u.s senators uh justices of the supreme court the speaker of the house and robert langdon's response to this is not like oh all these very powerful men in washington dc get together in this secret group that nobody knows about and like does secret stuff together like that that's bad that people in power could be doing that no robert langdon's thought is if the of the public sees this video, they're going to totally take it out of context and think that these guys are a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> and I can't let that happen. 
that's why this is a national security thing is because yeah no, <laughs> because totally. all their like play pretend fake drinking blood stuff would seem weird if people learned about it and it's well, very yeah. important that we protect these important men it happens earlier too they find a crypt with a skull and a bowl of sulfur yeah. and langdon walks in and he's like this is normal yeah yeah he loves to talk about like describe like getting communion in like in like weirdly clinical terms so people are like wow that is culturally normative and weird he's like well you know like on sunday like i'm gonna no it was always like on like the pagan's day of celebration i'm gonna kneel at the foot of like an initiate and like symbolically eat the blood and flesh of someone like while like a torture device looms overhead and everybody's like, oh, what are you going to do? You're in a cult. And he's like, no, I'm just going to go take communion, you <sighs> losers. Robert Langdon is not, he's not a Mason and he identifies himself as a skeptic. But if you say anything bad about Masons, he will, he will. turn his rings around and he will, <laughs> so, and let me, he will yeah. pull your okay, hair Craig, out. Yeah. I, no, no, no. So I, I too am desperate to stop this podcast from continuing. So <laughs> the, the New York Times review for this in 2009 is written by Maureen Dowd. As Margaret said, enemy of an enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and her bone to pick with this book is that it doesn't have the same teeth. If you could say that the earlier books were like, look at this secret society or this clandestine authoritative thing. I'm going to bust it open. You know, sunlight's the best disinfectant, yada, yada, yada. Uh, she says his book is a desperate attempt to ingratiate himself with the Mason <laughs> to interpret the bizarre Masonic rites and symbols that illuminate how the ultimate elite boy private boys club has conspired to shape the nation's capital. Um, if the Masons are, ne- are more intimidating than the Vatican, if Brown has now become part of the semiotic smokescreen, then all I can say is God help us all. And this book <laughs> does feel like he's like, uh, rather than I'm going to bust the stuff wide open. This book is starting from the premise of that he does believe in noetic science, which he mm-hmm. told Matt Lauer for television, mm-hmm. and that he has thought about joining the Masons, which I do think is also mentioned in some interviews, and like is kind of into it. So it doesn't have the same like, uh, oh, I got to This is a, a powerful. It's bad. Like what you said, Andrew. It's like he doesn't come at it from the same like big secretive thing is bad yeah in- yeah well like to, to the extent that that i find a thread interesting in dan brown's work that he pulls at occasionally i think his the the register that i find interesting is when he starts talking about how like christianity and jesus and whatever used to mean this one thing and it's been corrupted yeah. over time and co-opted yeah. by people who misuse it and that's bad that they mm-hmm. do that and that there's like a tiny nod to that in this book, but mostly Robert Langdon is a fan of the existing power structure and is working to preserve it in this yeah. case. It's so much so that it is hilarious to me that there is one part of this book where somebody's like, if you know so much about Masons, like, why aren't you one? And Robert <laughs> Langdon's explanation is if I joined, then oh, right. I couldn't tell anyone about how cool they are yeah. because I would have to take a vow of silence, yeah. which is, okay, Dan Brown, they just haven't sent you the invite yet, but I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> I'm sure buddy. your ring's in the mail, bud. This sure it's coming. has a setup that is very, it's almost like the Da Vinci Code rep players just put on different costumes. So an old friend of Robert Langdon's, is in trouble, but we don't know that at the start. We get a we get a shot of some 
weird dude doing weird stuff and he's scary but we don't know why that's gonna be malak um and robert langdon gets a phone call it's like hey your buddy peter solomon is throwing a party in dc and oh no it's like paul blart too their keystone speaker is gone we need you to do it robert langdon we need you to be the keystone speaker of this mm-hmm. festival yeah and <laughs> that one was for andrew um and so he has to go to dc and while he's on the plane is when we get the... And this was the thing that happened in Inferno. I don't remember it happening in Da Vinci Code. This is what you were talking about, Margaret. He does the like, this reminds me of this awesome lecture I gave. So like, <laughs> this is how Dan Brown gives the audience, the or the reader rather, like the crash course in masonry, in Freemasonry, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. to like have a memory of a sick lecture he gave... And all these college students that he yeah. just like slapped with the pedant stick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they were like, more, sir, please. Robert yeah. Langdon dies or thinks he's dying. And what flashes before his eyes are not <laughs> his loved ones, but an awesome lecture that he saw Peter <laughs> Solomon give once where he was talking about utterly demented Mason stuff. And how the end of the world was coming and the student body just as one stood up and burst into applause. Yeah. (laughs) I do that all the time. Constantly. Yeah. At Kenyon, I think that was one of the most common things to happen in the college classroom was just a standing O for the lecturing professor. Who who lectured on Freemasonry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And who said things about Freemasonry like – I would tell you what the significance of this is, but I don't think you're ready. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. So yeah. Robert Langdon gets to DC and lo and behold, he's been catfished. The assistant who's <laughs> been on the phone with him is like, ha I am not Peter Solomon's assistant. I am his captor. And you have to solve the mystery, the ancient mysteries of the Masonic pyramid or Solomon dies at midnight. Yeah. Um, and that's we we the reader understand that that is Malak on the telephone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then similar to Da Vinci Code, Andrew, as you said earlier, uh, Inspector Sato, CIA Director Sato, uh, is the like third like force in this book of like third build. <laughs> yeah, well, character. it's that thing that it's that thing that Da Vinci Code makes gets a lot of mileage out of where it's like the cops don't understand what Langdon's up to and they don't understand what the church is up to, but they think Langdon's shady. So like you got to have someone to chase Langdon around mm-hmm. that isn't the bad guy. Cause the bad right. guy has to be doing bad guy things that mm-hmm. Langdon can't see. Um, what me, with Sato and with, um, with Catherine's assistant Trish, you just get a lot of, female characters who have fully internalized whatever Dan Brown's own hangups and phobias are about women. Oh yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Sato wow. is described yes. in maybe the least flattering terms I have ever read. Mm. A, a protagonist of a book described yeah. it. And then Trish is just like plump. Yeah. They call her plump like seven times. Well, and I hate even it. This when is... She's being drowned in ethanol. 
yeah. it has to be noted that her hips are ample. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> like she's she's getting killed, but also she's don't worry, guys. She's still fatty. She's I do. Fatty. I do want to say this about Dan Brown's writing style, which I think <laughs> none of us are fans of. No, yeah, I think that can. Yeah. One of one of the ways that I do think it is effective is that he is he does this thing where he goes in and out of various different characters as the focalizers yeah so even though he is a third part person omniscient narrator in all of this book Mm -hmm. um when you are with a robert langdon section he is narrating langdon's thoughts and the tone of the his writing style changes so when you are seeing trish and she is being narrated by herself or by Catherine as one of the focalizers mm-hmm. you have no idea she's just as trish but when he is malak the bad guy and malak yeah. is looking at trish that is when then we get like trish's yeah plump and fat and whatever and so you there is actually a fairly effective way of creating a sense of like who these characters what their different brains feel like Mm. because he is able to go in and out of them in a in a fairly effective way unfortunately he spends a great deal of time in Robert Langdon's brain, which, <laughs> which sucks. Is a toxic which is a to bummer. Yeah, yeah I, I think, Catherine, you're generally right. I, I do think there is one part of the Trish thing where she had like turned down a guy who was like mm-hmm. trying to ask her for a date. And yeah. she comments to herself that he, how surprised he must have been that a chubby redhead turned him down. Yes, when you're right. surely she must be desperate for anybody yes, to, to be display fair. any yes. interest in her. Yes, it's, yeah. So yeah, it's still like the Trish justice for Trish. Trish is my favorite character in the whole book. She's, She's the only good cool. character. Well, she dies in a pool of ethanol with a preserved it, squid. Can I mothered her okay. face into a giant squid? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> On principle, I want to defend Trish. I did not. I didn't know what to do with the part of Trish. Okay, so we got to set up. I guess the fourth prong of the book. Yeah, just okay. get in it. Just do we've it. got we got Robert Langdon. His buddy's been captured. Oh wait, his severed hand was on the floor of the rotunda. Not Langdon's. Yeah. His buddy's Solomon. Peter you know, Solomon. become a handikin, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, <sighs> and that was left by Malak, who wants Robert Langdon to solve the mystery. Uh, mm-hmm. So we, the pillar of Robert Langdon, the pillar of Malak, the pillar of Sato and the CIA cops, and then there's Catherine Solomon. Uh, the sister daughter of Peter Solomon, and <laughs> she works in a pod lab underneath the Smithsonian secret headquarters, where she's doing her noetic science in a big underground airport hangar, uh, airplane it's pitch hangar. Pitch black in there, yeah, for some yeah. reason, yeah, and you can't turn on lights in there. Well, you're ruining the, the thought emissions fields. Okay, she yes. can't just have like people with their normal brains just like walking around her lab. How mess will she up know all the ice her cubes? loving thoughts are what made the ice crystals so symmetrical? That's true. Um, and she hired someone named Trish, who seems super cool. She's pretty competent, as we've talked about. The book doesn't treat her great. No. Um, mm. She got hired because she was the Nate Silver of America's emotions. Yeah. She, the government <laughs> was, she built a tool to like i guess do super google on how people thought about tragedies on the internet Mm -hmm. and it would tell the government what to do in response maybe um weird i didn't know how to feel about that it sort of just felt like she was an algorithm to me it felt like she's just on twitter yeah (laughs) yeah yeah right that's true there are parts and then oh god when it talks about twitter at the end of this book i lost my mind um (laughs) 
the, the phrase Twitterati is in this book. Yeah, all the Twitterati are going to be tweeting about how awesome noetic science is. Imagine if Catherine's this book had come out on schedule, yeah. he might not have known about Twitter, right? Wasn't Twitter mm. like after 2006? Maybe that's why yes. it only gets mentioned, like shoehorned in at the end. one super awkward, obvious mention right it. at the end. Love it. <laughs> You solved the code. There is like a single <laughs> iPhone that appears before yeah. that, which makes sense for late 2000s. That like oh, also, a character would have an iPhone. But <laughs> Important given circumstance in the town, Washington, D.C., the, the Washington football team is in the playoffs. Yeah, um, yeah. really And it's crucial. distracting every, <laughs> every yeah. security guard in town. I, it's not just security guards. Catherine's entire lab explodes <laughs> and when yeah. she looks in her rear view mirror she thinks were there fireworks at the <laughs> football game <laughs> yeah. it's a real now, thing and that I don't really know, happened in this book I, I don't know how so see- many time thieves in this book all these security guards are supposed to be at work and they're watching the football game <laughs> I don't know Ugh. how steeped in Washington football team history Dan Brown is but the aughts have been a bad, <laughs> bad <laughs> decade for that team. And so I do think that he, at very least, has tapped into the fact that if they were in the playoffs, it would be a big deal, I suppose. Okay. Well, I guess. Congrats to the fictional Washington football team. Yeah. Yes. I really um, wonder what the astrology was like at the moment they were in those playoffs. Like, was... <laughs> Like Draco, like in Virgo or whatever. Like when, like when Zeus Washington laid the cornerstone. Yeah. Of I don't know the Capitol building. Oh, I don't know. Of the man. football fields. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of the football fields. Uh, Langdon and Sato go underneath. They go to SSBB thirteen or whatever. Oh and so God. wait, I forget what does SSBB thirteen stand for? Well, sub sub basement. Somebody... <laughs> sub basement basement. <laughs> because it wasn't. There. I don't. So I feel like times. it's not. It's not adequately. Catherine, you in your in your note thread put it best when you were like, "Yeah, people's thoughts have mass." Is a paragraph, <laughs> and then we hear about what sub basement basement thirteen means like seven hundred <laughs> times. I was so mad about it because. <laughs> It is the most obvious thing that like SBB, like sub basement yeah. would stand for. And yet yeah. after like 20 people are like, oh, we're going in the SBB 13. We're going in SBB. It's who has the keys for SBB 13 radio up for the keys for SBB 13. And then they like walk down the hallways. You were at SC, SX, ST. <laughs> Here it is. SB. Let's turn down the hallway. Wait, where's SBB? <laughs> S13. And then, only then does Robert Langdon say, but we're not under the Senate anymore. I thought this <laughs> stood for Senate Basement 13. And you're like, no, you dingwad. My God. I just. <sighs> okay. Can I just bring up? Yeah, please. So throughout this entire book, my main problem with Robert Langdon, which is present every Throughout this SBB 13 thing, but also just more broadly, like um, Craig will get to it in a bit. There's a pyramid and et cetera, et cetera. Constantly, people are saying there is a secret 
This, <laughs> a man, a terrifying man, has yeah. called and needs your help decoding the secret. Now there's more clues to the secret. Now there's a code to de- And at every single step, Robert Langdon is like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a, this is a metaphor, right? It's not literally I just true. Don't yeah. think, I just don't think this is a big deal. At every single step, even once he's like, all the way in, and there's like wax coming out of the pyramid, there's and like breathable liquid like coming into his ears, and he's like, "No, it's a, it's not ears," real, and he's like, metaphor. "It's a metaphor." Like I, yeah. I, I, I did like the part where he got it's a metaphor by someone else, oh. which is when they have the pyramid. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, this can't be the Masonic pyramid because the Masonic pyramid is supposed to be huge and like God can touch the top of it." Uh-huh. And the guy, excuse me, the architect of yeah. Washington D.C., w- Mr. Bellamy, yeah, Mr. Mm-hmm. Bellamy is like, "Don't you know that to the Masons, even a man is a god because our potential is limitless, <laughs> and therefore, like, <sighs> couldn't this be tall enough for like a?" For like a person to touch. <laughs> I also isn't isn't that's the same conversation where Robert Langdon's like the pyramid's supposed to be a legend, and Bellamy's yeah. like, and you know like, what else has a legend? A map. Maps. <laughs> yeah. You idiot. You idiot. <laughs> and this that is the, as we said earlier, like this book like really kind of revels in a certain type of pedantry. Yeah. That is like I don't know what to do with it because like I love trivia, I love escape rooms, I love lateral thinking stuff. But this whole book feels like now it's escaping me, Andrew. What is well, the thing that we like to do on like car rides and stuff? What do we just play? Mind trap. Cal- this whole stuff is we, mind trap stuff. <laughs> well, it's it's the every exchange is Robert Langdon pointing at the first dictionary definition of a word, yeah. and then the other character who he's talking to is like, "Well, not uh uh uh," and then he points to the second de- de- yeah. definition in yeah. the dictionary. Oh, it's not word. a talisman; it's a talisman. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. oh, from the Greek to talus yeah. and the Latin man or right. whatever. It's stupid. It's so stupid. Yeah. Um, the conversation that Peter and uh, Catherine have. Where he's like, why aren't you reading any of these old books? And she's like, why would I read old things? I'm interested in cutting edge physics. And he's like, don't you know that every concept of cutting edge physics is like in these ancient texts? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, how did they explain? Like, I don't know, like the oneness of everything. And he's like, don't you know that atonement means at one meant? <laughs> stupid <laughs> dummy. So all of this is happening in such a way that uh, most of the chapters end with Robert Langdon having his mind blown Mm -hmm. and like a new POV reveals something that we couldn't have believed to possibly be true. Um, He runs away from the CIA, so we don't really know what her deal is. He's with the architect. Eventually... There's a cabbie who knows all about the Masons. That was my favorite part of that plot, but that <laughs> most, mostly wraps up with we them. We haven't really talked about Malak enough. Yeah, we're no, I'm, kinda, about, I'm yeah. setting that up because cool, like I want to get cool. like there's a bunch of chase stuff that is like, mm-hmm. why are this, the CIA using explosives in the Library of Congress? I don't know. So like, many. I do, to... I do love. There's two parts of the Library of Congress things that I love. One, they get in the basement and they're like, you, you've seen so many. You know, they have like weird words for everything and the rotund. Like, mm-hmm. and he, he's like, this is what we call 
the stacks and I'm <laughs> <laughs> but also i love that they i think the one legitimately cool thing that they should have put in the tv show that is in this book that they didn't put is that that catherine and robert langdon have to escape from the library of congress on the book conveyor no belt. i think they do it that. is in the it oh is in the show. the show yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not, okay. it's okay it's not like long like i wanted it to be it should be more right, of a been, it's the only time you encountered something in the dan brown the lost simple universe and you were like i think he should have talked about this more it's like better I rendered it's, i think in it's the book. in the in the book maybe you it sticks out a little bit more because it's the first time that langdon and Catherine actually yes, are in the true. same yeah. space yes. together where in the show because of the aforementioned um sexiness reasons they are together a lot more yeah. often and yeah a lot so more like visibly interested the in each other. Lack of chemistry <laughs> I take it back. I take it back then. The one <laughs> thing that's in the book that should be in the show is somebody getting killed by getting squashed into a giant preserved squid. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it is how <laughs> Trish beefs it, unfortunately. Um, all of this is, is happening such that ultimately we're going to learn that Sato is is trying to prevent Malak from releasing his, uploading his YouTube video about the <laughs> about secret the Masons, Masons yeah. and whatever. Um, so let's, t- we need to talk and it would about be ba- So the senator in the in the video, who's the senator in the video? Who's in the Mason? I think it's John it's, McCain. Well, oh, no, it's, it's absolutely, definitely, it's definitely Mitt Romney. Well, he wasn't a senator oh, wasn't at the time senator that the that... book was out. It came yeah. out. Yeah, mm. but they do talk about the man being handsome. So, yeah, well, they talk in the video. It's like it's a prominent senator. There was who's a... on the news all the time. There was. And a I 2000... just feel like it's got to be John McCain. I think Chuck Grassley might be a Mason. Um, oh, it could be Chuck Chuck Grassley. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure that John Tester is a Mason. I'm sourcing this from a Politico article yeah. written in 2009, where some guy was like. Dan Brown's writing about Congress people and the Masons. I'm gonna go get on this. Um, he definitely talked to John Tester about it, who said, "I haven't been to meetings in a while." Um, that is what he would say, though. <laughs> that is what isn't he would it? say. Yeah. So we need to talk about how do you solve a problem like Malak? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Any? Let's. Where do people want to start with okay. Malak? I think the important place to start with Malak is Malak's tattoos. Yeah, sure. Let's because talk about his tattoos. Malak talks a lot about his tattoos, and I'm just going to find the screenshot I have where he is admiring himself in the mirror and describing them. Please. Because that text is used almost identically like four or five, like four or times. five times in the book. Is this also when he's describing how good his ding dong is, or is that, no, that's is that another time? His ding dong's real good, and yet no balls. Yeah. Well, yeah no balls. He did remove his choice. balls. By choice. Yeah. Um, well, while Margaret is finding her favorite Hanging beneath the archway, his massive sex organ bore the tattooed symbols <laughs> of his destiny. In another life, this heavy shaft of flesh oh, had been his boy. source of carnal pleasure, but no longer. Oh, I have boy. been purified. <laughs> oh, boy. Woof. I've got it, BT Dub. Go Please for it. hit us with it. Luck entered his bedroom sanctuary with reverence, locking the door behind him. As he moved towards his dressing area, he paused, feeling himself drawn to the enormous gilded mirror. Unable to resist, he turned and faced his own reflection. Slowly, as if unwrapping a priceless gift, Malak opened his robe to unveil his naked form. The vision awed him. I am a masterpiece. (laughs) His massive body was shaved and smoothed. 
He lowered his gaze to his feet, which were tattooed with the scales and talons of a hawk. Above that, his muscular legs were tattooed as carved pillars, his left leg spiraling, his right vertically striated. Boaz and Jacqueline, his groin and abdomen formed a decorated archway. <laughs> above which his powerful chest was emblazoned with the double-headed phoenix, each head in profile with its visible eye formed by one of Balak's nipples. Yep. His shoulders, neck, face, and shaved head were completely covered with an intricate tapestry of ancient sibyls, symbols and sigils. I am sigils. 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 I am an artifact. An evolving icon. Yes, that's yeah. Malak. So he's he's a dude. He's covered in tattoos. Covered in. Them. And we find Everywhere. out, like the reason that he's covered in tattoos is because he was in a prison and he in dis- Turkey. In Turkey, mm-hmm. and, and he, Zach Solomon had to die, and for he's him to be born. Yeah, he became involved in a plot involving the death of Zach Solomon, and. Somehow. Began and then decided to renovate his entire life. Um, so and and like got out of the prison and got a lot of money and went to Greece and screwed a lot of people, including young boys. There yeah. is a re- well, not yeah. young, young men, men. Young, men. young men, young men. So so he did. So he was in the Turkish prison where Peter Solomon's son Zachary was there. Peter Solomon left his son Zachary there for an extra week to teach him a lesson about money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Question mark? about being mm-hmm. responsible and a, a malak or inmate 70 2000 whatever was like mm, seems weird i'll just kill zachary solomon and take the money myself somehow, somehow. Um, and before he had all that sex gathering he read the odyssey and thought that guy sounds mm-hmm. cool i should look like him. yeah look like yeah him. so, so he, he did a lot of steroids to do that yeah. despite the fact that he <laughs> transformed his attitude to drugs yeah yeah did a lot of steroids, um, yeah. which made his bre- his voice breathy and high, which the people found attractive. Yeah, people yeah. found people really wanted to get in on on the ground floor of that. <laughs> of that. <laughs> okay. so, um, so and so but then, it's like the, yeah. So the the physical, I don't know. Like I think the show actually is is better with making Malak seem threatening. Like in the book, as soon as you find the secret that Malak is Zach, oh no. Yep. twist mm-hmm. like zach does just seem like a petulant whiny child literally the entire time like there, there's nothing about anything that he does that makes what he, like this trouble he got himself into yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and then he blames Fully. his dad for it. like there's nothing sympathetic about that where in the show i think it, it sets up Peter Solomon a little bit more effectively as like a, a distant and sort of domineering father. Yes. Who's, oh, yeah. And like the 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 break between him and, and Zach is, his is like illustrated a little Zach. bit better. And then Malak in the show also is just like it's not like steroids and stuff. He's just really good at like this this breathing mm-hmm. exercise where he can like force like metal bullets out of his body with yeah. the force of his mind just, and his he just, breathing. He Lamaz breathes stuff in and out of his body. <laughs> like he can literally, he can literally heal himself and other people. And yeah. he's got, and he's got darts yeah. in there. Just and in he's case. Got great. Yeah. Like there's one, he's, he's handcuffed in one sequence and he like breathes out like a Garrett 
like a metal, a long metal strip that he then uses to pick the lock and then Whoa. set somebody's throat. Which seems As Catherine useful. Solomon would say, that is miles beyond cool. Yes. <laughs> that was miles beyond cool. Yes. Whereas in the book, I mean, the extent to In the to book, which... it's just like he's the only guy who's ever heard of double crossing people. And yeah. he sucks. <laughs> he's, like the entire book is just like, God, this guy sh- sucks. He sucked as a kid and he sucks yeah. now. Like, Yeah, because his whole backstory, right, is that when he was going to turn 18, he was kind of this wayward kid. And Pierce Holland was like, well, I got to tell you about the Masonic secrets and I got to like give you money if you want it. But you have to prove that you're like a person of good moral character or something. And he's like, nah, dad, suck it. And then like he gets in a Turkish prison for gambling or his something. Dad drugs. Gives oh, no. him, his dad gives him a marshmallow test. He says, you yeah. can have all the money now or you can wait and have money and the wisdom of the right. ages. And marshmallow. And he's like, Fuck, that's not a marshmallow. Yeah. And I Zach is care. like, screw you, dad. Give me the money. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then while Shocking he's away. No <laughs> oh, and then while well, he's then, away. And then the show, the other wrinkle is that Sato and Zach knew each other. Like Zach was being oh. like a deep, like a like yeah, a deep cover. CI for, yeah. for Sato. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Way so cooler. The, yeah. It is way cooler. Miles like his, his cool. character has a lot more like <laughs> texture and he's more sympathetic. Yeah, because what yeah. he was he was in Peter Europe boning him. everyone. Mm-hmm. Then he got bored of boning. Yeah. Right? And he became enlightened because he watched a History Channel yeah. <laughs> special on the Masons uh-huh, and was no like, percent. oh, my dad I hate is in the Masons. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and get my birthright pyramid. And that is what led to Peter Solomon's mother's death. The bullets went in his body, which is why he had to get the tattoos. He told the tattoo artist to tattoo him with whatever he wanted. In a book about tattoos is where he learned about mysticism. <laughs> and then he read John Milton's Paradise Lost and named himself Malak after Malak in that book. He is just a uh, personality through fandom. I hate Malak. Yeah, yeah. Also, in the show, there's like another powerful like like mason or like like thought wizard in the turkish prison oh who like steps in Come to like on. fill the father figure yeah void, which is yeah, pretty left yeah. by peter solomon why did they cut that out of the book when so they did hard. the novelization i do i don't, I don't know. know i do want to say there's one excellent and relatable thing that malak does which is that he's he's <laughs> Be careful getting, He's getting super ready for his ritual, right? Like he's got a uh, ritual thing uh, in the basement and he's like, he looks in the mirror and he's uh, like, oh, he's like checking out his tattoos. He's like, yeah, yeah like, sweet hog. Great, I look awesome. so good. And then he takes like white silk and he like wraps it around his groin because that's the thing that you're supposed to do. And he's like, all right, I've wrapped the silk around my groin. And then he goes in the basement and he checks his email. <laughs> I lost it. I was like crying. That's so, good. There is one thing that if you are a woman, these tattoos present yes. a problem. Yes. Oh yeah. They are dealt with lightly in the following way. Refocusing on the task at hand, Malak went to his dressing table and carefully applied a base of concealer makeup to his face scalp and neck until his tattooed had disappeared so that's as much information as dan brown has to share about the process of covering tattoos with makeup which is not that easy no 
No. Okay. I mean, I have to put down like three layers to cover up a zit with concealer. Like, I don't know how you're covering head to toe tattoos. Do you know how much concealer is in a makeup container of concealer? If you go to Sephora and you buy yourself like a tart shape tape, that is like 0.5 ounces of Mm. makeup. Can you imagine how much of that you'd need to cover your whole body? Do you also, understand how beat your face would have to shape be? Shape tape yeah. costs for that 0. 0.5 so ounces. It's like 30 money. bucks for like it one is. tiny little thing. How much money is he <laughs> spending? Also, it's very hard to get the right shade, which means at some 100%. point he had to go into the Sephora and sit at the NARS counter and they had <laughs> to match, like, match me. just for they the, with the to tiny just... top of his head was yeah. the only thing they could use <laughs> yeah. to match the right skin tone they went through and you're like oh is do we want porcelain or do we want I, finland you're more of like an arctic fact, yeah yeah <laughs> those are those are all foundation shades i use yeah, it really should have been a, a scene with malak going to the sam's club and buying like the bulk yes! like the yeah. five gallon tub but of concealer. Then, <laughs> then he comes home and he's like i can't wait to do my cleansing ritual and you're like i bet you can't dude because that's so much for your pores to have all him. that makeup on he, there all the time well, can you imagine if he fell Catherine asleep in were, it like that's horrible for your skin it's terrible Catherine he's gotta have terrible acne Mm-hmm. We were burning pot and simultaneously I sent her a voice message and she sent me a test speculating whether he uses the Korean double cleanse method to remove <laughs> he all <that> must. <laughs> he must. He Which must. Which wash with an oil to break down all to get it all makeup, off. And then you wash with like a, a water like a soluble. In the, yes. in the yeah, show, exactly. it just comes off like in a regular shower, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, just it's like not a even better in the rainstorm. It just melts down think, his face. Think how many of the little um, squishy uh, so applicators. He goes through yeah. so many beauty blenders. Yes. I do oh, appreciate, I, I did appreciate when he is um, conning Catherine Solomon. I guess, I don't remember why he pretended to be Peter Solomon's psychiatrist, but he does do that. He uses the name Christopher Abaddon. Abaddon. <laughs> Abaddon, Abaddon, excuse yeah. and, me. And he, that, he also needs that identity to get into the secret society of the Masons so he can record his YouTube video so he yes. can out John McCain on YouTube. Which right. anyone, any of these people would be like, that's from the Book of Revelations. You're not a real person. <laughs> that's a demon or a hell place. You can't be mm-hmm. a doctor. Yeah. Dr. Hell Place. <laughs> yeah. And she is like, that guy's got a lot of makeup on his face. And he's like, yeah, skin condition. It's mm-hmm. really bad. When Don't I worry do it about it. Myself. I have a bad wig and a bunch of makeup on, but it's fine. It's nothing. It's chill. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's a the lot book, of, really. The, okay. We got to talk about the basement <sighs> action sequence. Yes. Um, Because like, okay, once everyone knows Malak is the bad guy, they're going to find the masonic secrets which we'll talk about that'll be the last thing we probably talk about um langdon and Catherine are in the house he has captured robert langdon and put him in a breathable liquid pod he has well he he picked up his toned body and put it into a a pod like don't yes. forget to talk about how toned his body is that's true he swims laps and yeah, he's, he swims gonna, laps. he's gonna make langdon solve one of the puzzles from yet another part of the pyramid that they had to boil to get the wax off um and then Catherine is in a chair and he's going to slowly bleed her out while he takes Sol- Peter Solomon to go solve the mystery, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Andrew, how did you enjoy the part where Robert Langdon thought that he was dying <laughs> right after the book told us that uh, scientifically that's possible to have an out of body experience? How did you like that part? That whole sequence? What'd you think? Which of us were you asking? Andrew. You. You're asking me? Yeah. I mean, I mostly was focused on the, the part where the one memory he chose to have was of an awesome, co- awesome <laughs> college lecture he was at. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I guess that's just Dan Brown's thing is like maybe maybe mystical, magical things do exist or maybe they don't. I don't know. This book was more mystical than I expected it to be. But then it's revealed later that it's just that he's got the he's breathing in the breathable liquid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's a totally rational, albeit completely made up explanation for what, why the thing is happening. What I liked is that in that sequence, one of the other things he remembers is going to Catherine's lab and watching her measure how much a soul weighs. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah, so in this universe, that movie, 21 Grams, didn't come out in like 2003. <laughs> And like this wasn't ground that had been thoroughly mined by hucksters already. Yeah, it's all true. Um, and then what? There, there's a showdown. That, I don't know something about Eight Franklin Place Square. It's taking us to the temple where it's they just, already uh, and just, the pyramid is like. Oh, now we solved it. Oh wait, no, there's another thing. Oh wait, yeah. no, there's another thing. Oh wait, yeah. there's another thing. And that's the whole like back half of the book is yeah. just like. Oh, there's another inscrutable. It's like clue having that any conversation with my four year old. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. or my mm-hmm. mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and Malak reveal Malak is in on the noetic science stuff, but he doesn't want people to use it for good. So he wants to destroy all of that, which is why he destroys yeah. Catherine's lab yeah. and why he wants to expose the Masons. He and, wants the secret to stay a secret. Yes. Um, and so he wants his dad to ritual kill him in the Masonic temple. Mm-hmm. 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 But instead a helicopter does. <laughs> Jeez. Oh. No a helicopter crashes through the ceiling of the temple and all the glass falls in him and he dies. Yeah. Um, hmm. Two important questions as Please. someone who did not finish reading the book, but did watch the whole show and wanted to just see. Is the ultimate conclusion are like the Masonic secrets, like they've just like buried a Bible yeah. at that location? Okay. Amazing. It is really the drink more Ovaltine of codes. Yeah, it's like a combination of that and like the magic is inside you all along. I yeah. Think. yeah. Every every religious text on earth has a code in it. Yeah. And if you could decipher the code, you would learn about how to use your mind to like make cool crystals. Yeah. Um, but cool. you you have to do the work and everyone this is a, a crappier version of what Andrew said the Da Vinci Code stuff was at least moderately interesting about, which was that like all of the religious organizations in the centuries since have obscured that message, which in and of itself is an obscured riddle. So it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that. So, okay. Now we're, we're winding down. I want to talk about Wait, no, one thing. Margaret has, has, has one question. other question. And this is okay. really, this is Catherine's question, but I am making sure it's asked in the show. Yeah. There is an incredibly important moment. I think where, this is literally what I was going to talk about. Oh, go ahead. Uh, where, Zachary's mother yep, yep, this eats is what his I was baby talk about. teeth in grief. Does yep. that happen in the book? It doesn't. Nope. No. Nope. So that's so wow. yes. So Zachary's mother is a character in the show, as we've <laughs> talked about. 
Uh, Malak kills her, which makes him seem more terrifying. It's mm-hmm. another thing that the show does that in retrospect actually was a big improvement on what the source <laughs> material had to give it. When I tell you that I came away from this book being like, they did a great job. That with show this was show. really actually, yeah, yeah, making lemon lemonade out of lemons Whew. for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they find out there's a flashback scene where they find out that Zach has died in the Turkish prison Mm. and we just get this shot never (laughs) talked about or revisited ever again where mad with grief, Zach's mother devours his baby teeth from a box of stuff that was under the bed. Yeah. Yeah, she sure does. And I was reading this entire book being like, surely they would not have included (laughs) something so specific and weird in the show without it having some textual I was waiting for it basis too. and never never, never you do you, you don't even meet the woman who is no. his mom you never it's never I don't mentioned think she even has a name that's and so yeah no i i read this entire damn brown book and i didn't learn any more about why she eats that baby tea no. the one thing the one you thing know i wanted to know more us- about a POV chapter, yeah, about mm-hmm. her and the, the history, teeth. the history of teeth, and like how to <laughs> and like what it different... was like to poop those teeth out later. Yeah, and like, man, I really regret doing that. That was oh, I was sad, but it wasn't and that somebody scans her body and then sees the teeth inside, the teeth, yeah. and, and it realizes. spells out Mason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not great. It's kind of. Uh, oh, and also the CIA used a cool EMP gun to prevent Malak's evil email from uploading. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so none of the Masons have their identities revealed. Yeah, just as gripping as the sequences where Robert Langdon is just sitting and, and thinking, <laughs> think to himself, which happens like five different times, is the sequence where we're watching like the the percentage indicator on the, the evil email. Yeah, climbing to a hundred percent. I kind of i i liked. I didn't like it, but I did have fun with the novelty of it. I've ne- I can't think of a book that has weaponized uploading a a video. Before. I just think it could have been funnier. Like it could have yeah, yeah. like you could have used the time estimate and been like, oh, you only have sixteen minutes, two hours, so five minutes to. <laughs> To tell me the information I need oh. to know. Andrew's just popping that little tech support hat so, on, straightening the brim. As, so <laughs> as we wrap, mm-hmm. sure. The I do want to circle back to like why do we think Dan Brown's books sell, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not we think this one is like good. Like what I, we've talked a little bit about what works there, but like I was also just struck by the fact that. This book isn't really about the Masons. Yeah. It's not really about Robert Langdon. It's not really about Washington, D.C. secrets. It's just about a dude who got tattoos. No, it's, a, it's about it's about self-help stuff. Yeah, like, it's, yeah, about it's also about that. magical thinking. It's full-on Marion Williamson. When, mm-hmm. when Catherine is describing, like, the way that the science in the book works, like, it's really striking how similar like the rhetorical language is to when you read like the secret or, or any of these books that talk about like the untapped potential of the human mind is it's like they all do this thing where they use an analogy like they they, they use something like mm-hmm. gravitational pool right which does have complex underlying scientific explanations that do exist but also it's really easy for a layperson to just see 
that yeah. it's true because you can like drop a ball and it falls to the ground. Yeah. And so you say, yeah, gravity exists. It has, you know, it has underlying explanations. Well, then surely this thing that sounds on the surface yeah. like it would be similar. Your thoughts have mass and a lot of right. thoughts together have more mass. Yeah. Like a like, grain of sand can't move the tide. Yeah. But like a it, lot of grain of sands become the moon, which does. <laughs> and thoughts are the same whoa yeah, yeah and, and it just tries to sell yeah. you on these weird claims with these little like rhetorical flourishes and like logic tricks and well doesn't he cite that um like cool anti-vax woman lynn mctaggart yeah in, like yeah. the beginning of the book so cool. yeah that's, Kath- that's the- catherine in the book is thinking about how a book of hers inspired her research like, yeah. descent into the depths of noetic science which is definitely a true thing which is going to change the entire world when she publishes and that findings. that big passage that margaret read at the top of the show about 9-11 like people have thoroughly debunked that that any of that research is true because that's a real thing that people did <laughs> it, it is real in the sense that people said that happened and then it is also real that other smart people said no that didn't can we, can we also talk about what a flex it is to be like don't get me wrong, 9-11 was bad, but... It did reveal the power <laughs> did, of the human mind. It did, it did key us into the, the untapped potential of the human mind. I no, it's just... It's like, just... That's like the one unifying tragedy like for the whole world. Yeah. Which is like everyone was so bummed yeah. when mm-hmm. we got bombed that one time. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Well, that's why we have the technology but no, I to think, study I mean, it anyway. Why Dan Brown's books sell, I think like the Da Vinci Code is probably the best version of the thing that he knows how to do. Like he he can do like a page turner thing. I think I don't think this is I don't think this. I think he can do better than this. And he yeah, has done better. Than I would this. agree. And even Inferno, I think, was better than this. Yeah. I think so. But also, I, I, I might also the... just be responding to how bummed out I am at About like how central this wellness, like mm. anti-vax woman's mumbo jumbo is to the like to the verifiably true facts that the book says that it's talking <laughs> yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the the thing that Catherine said earlier about the like the POV stuff, which I know, Andrew, you have incre- you have gotten real tired of, which is the like there is information in the next chapter that you just don't have because no one's looked at it yet. And then the next character has that information. And we just jump in their head. It's that exhausting. Is, that is how he moves yeah. the book. It's mm-hmm. so but yeah, it is exhausting. frustrating. But like, if there is people like one, it though. some people like it. If there is one element of writing that like he is actually okay at, it is. Is at, it his serialized storytelling? No, f- that. Sorry, <laughs> screw that. Screw that. Sorry, sorry. It is about. It is the way that you can feel how different. Like the writing actually does change, like from sure. one person to the next. It does and, change, but also like <laughs> he is Dan Brown. Like he. The book is padded partly because he constantly feels the need to end a chapter with a cliffhanger and then not give you immediate resolution on the cliffhanger. Like you have to jump to another perspective so that you have some space before you find out what the next thing oh, yeah. is. That's and often p- those chapters exist literally only to add that space. They're not yeah. they're not yeah. doing anything important 
except for keeping you oh, from that part of like, it. Like the important information you're supposed 100%, to Hundred percent. That part of it is absolutely terrible. Like yeah. it's, it is a. T- they're two different devices, right? Yeah. It's no, like I, no, the I, focalizing I, yeah. character thing versus the way he uses them, and man, it's terrible. Yeah, because there, there, it's, there are many, many authors, Catherine. You're absolutely right. Where they write multiple perspectives, and they all just sound like whatever the author sounds yeah. like. Yeah. 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 And that's not he as does true figure of out stuff, a but, slightly yeah. different mode. But there's and just yeah. so many other like ticks and contrivances mixed in with that that I can't I can't praise him for it because I I don't want him to get the wrong idea about <laughs> I, I response agree. to his work. I know Margaret had a thing, Andrew. I just want to say like the the um the padding that happens, you're right. It's like that's where the weakness really is because he's got like 10 different security guards, all of whom are watching the football game, and they are only used to be that next POV after yeah. a cliffhanger. None of them have like personality or are described as anything other than systems engineer or something. Yeah. That's another thing that the show does pretty well is it like composites all the security guards into one character named Nunez who is mm-hmm. – Hands down, the most likable character yeah. on the entire show. Absolutely, the best thing about the TV show. Yeah, and and he is like there is a guard by that name present in this book, but it's not the same character. Yeah. Sure. What did you have, Margaret? Earlier, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, have you thought maybe that his books sell because he describes how beautiful Washington D.C.'s architecture is? Mm. Oh, Every, possibly. You know, and it's just like maybe people were just really thirsting to know. That the most striking room possibly in the entire world is the reading room at the Library of Congress. People, I think no, I think you're know. right. There, there's something to know. There's something to the appeal of like, oh, I'm gonna write a book about Jesus, literally the yeah. most famous person that's ever been. Yeah. I'm gonna write a book about the Illuminati. I'm gonna write a book about the Masons and Washington being yeah. a god. Like it's just he's playing everyone else's hits and hoping people show up to the concert. Well, they exactly did. they well, did. Unfortunately, if we in any way encouraged you to read this book, I am so sorry. Yeah, that was not the intent. It's not. You should go watch Peacock Stan Brown's The Lost Symbol on Peacock. It takes a lot less time and it is actually in retrospect much more. Yeah, much more fun and much better. (laughs) So much more fun and better. Yeah. What did you say, Andrew? This was like for a book that is supposed to be a page turner. I was amazed that it was a slog. Yeah, it was just it was just tough to read. It just yeah. everything took so long. Yeah, <laughs> I was so happy to record this podcast because it meant I could stop reading the book. I know. Yeah, like I'm going to go do something else for the first time today <laughs> after this that is not going to be reading so the Lost good. Symbol by Dan Brown. Yeah. I can't well, wait. Thank you, everyone, for trying to decode these symbols. symbols. Yeah. Um, Don't yeah. call them icons. They're symbols. Do not. Crime. They're yeah. symbolons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Icons are what whores do for money. <laughs> or candy. Uh, you can tell us uh, if you, the the reader, have uh, the listener. Have, well, they're both for your podcast. Yeah. If, if you've decoded any uh, additional symbols or symbolons in this book, mm-hmm. you want to tell us about them, send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at overduepod. You know the deal. There, thanks to Nick Larandis who composed our theme song. I want to toss it to Andrew in a second, but Catherine and Margaret, anything up that we should know about that y'all are up to that we should go check out? Um, if 
people want to decode the lost symbols of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice with me in England in June, they can do that. Yeah. Uh, and they should look at, I'll send you a link and it'll probably be in the show notes. Yeah. We'll tweet it out. There. Let us know. And yeah, what's your yeah. what's your Twitter handle also? Just oh, that. I'm at Mrs. Friday Next, but I'm go. sure everyone already knows that. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> that symbol is not lost. Catherine? <laughs> yeah. Um, you can find my writing on Vulture.com. I write about TV and comedy, and uh, I like doing that. It's more fun than reading Dan Brown. Uh, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Too much time. Too much time. <laughs> at Kay Van Aaron. Andrew, if folks want to know more about our show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones we are going to read. Uh, I wouldn't click the Dan Brown one if I were you, but if you do choose to do that and buy the book, your local independent bookseller gets a cut, we get a cut, and Dan Brown gets a cut. (laughs) Think about it. The only lost symbol that guy cares about is dollar signs. Am I right? (laughs) Whoa. I'm glad folks who are hearing this made it to the end of the episode for that because that's yeah, no, solid gold. Yeah, I really like take that to Dan Brown. We've been pretty. I think we've been pretty easy on Dan Brown through this I think whole so. thing. But I yeah. wanted to really body Proud slam him there. At the end. <laughs> uh, we have a Patreon page: Patreon.com/slash/overdrewpod. Support the show, pay for our hosting, get bonus episodes early, etc., etc. Uh, we are also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get podcasts. If you scri- subscribe to Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. We haven't asked for that in a while. Yeah. So you're welcome, I guess. Uh, next week, Craig, what are we reading? I am reading Rafa's Creature by Claire Bell. I think they're sentient cat people or something. I'll, mm-hmm. I've been reading a damn brown book for a while, so I haven't cracked it open <laughs> yet. Uh, but I'm excited to spend my week in a feline world. I'll let you, you'll find out then if there's any puzzles in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about how that one's going to go. Christ. All right, everybody. Thanks for decoding these symbols with us. And until we, I don't, until, <laughs> until we talk to you next time, try to be happy. Bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.